You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Ken Barrett, Global Chief of Diversity at General Motors. As General Motors' first Global Chief of Diversity, Ken Barrett leads GM's diversity and inclusion portfolio, which includes workforce diversity strategy, empowering employee resource groups, and fostering an inclusive culture that promotes diversity of thought to help GM compete and win in the marketplace. Prior to joining GM, Barrett, a retired Navy captain, served as the Undersecretary of Defense's acting director of the Office of Diversity Management and Equal Opportunity in Washington, D.C. He also served five years of award-winning performance as the U.S. Navy's Diversity Director, where he achieved historic levels of minority and female officer additions, and went through a challenging shift from a previous don't ask, don't tell mentality around LGBT. BTQ plus in the forces. He also led transformational work-life balance initiatives. So we were very excited to get into this chat with Ken Barrett. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Ken discuss GM's mission to become the most inclusive company in the world and some practices that keep them accountable, how to measure inclusion and GM's eight metrics, and some hiring practices to attract from a more diverse candidate pool. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today I'm extremely excited to have Ken Barrett with us, who's the Chief Diversity Officer at General Motors. Ken, welcome. Hey, Ron. Well, it's great to be with you, and I'm uh, looking forward to our talk. Yeah, yeah, me too. You know, when we had our kind of pre-podcast check-in, I was really excited about this topic. It's a hot topic, and I was blown away on just, you know, we didn't dive deep into the subject matter, but I was already blown away with some of the initiatives and strategies around diversity inclusion that, that GM was, was um, heading into. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation. So just first, give me a little bit of a, you know, we've read the intro of, of who you are, but a little more of your background, Ken, Let's take us through your journey. Yeah, well, you know, obviously I've been here at General Motors now for, for nine years and, uh, I, even though I was the first chief diversity officer at General Motors, I, it doesn't mean that General Motors hasn't been a company that's really thought about diversity and inclusion for decades. Okay, so, uh, but prior to coming to GM, I spent 28 years in, in the Navy, the U.S. Navy, um, and uh, I transitioned out in 2012. And I actually did uh, diversity roles for uh, for the Navy, so I was kind of the chief diversity officer for the Navy, and then. My last couple of years on active duty, I was uh, the acting director of diversity for the Department of Defense. So uh, different types of roles, obviously, but certainly in the diversity space. And, you know, probably one of the big things I was involved in when I was at both the Navy and also at the Department of Defense was the repeal of don't ask, don't tell and being able to have our, you know, LGBT uh, service men and women be able to openly serve in the military. So obviously a different type of focus, but again, it, it is being able to ensure that you're really reflective uh, for the Navy and for the Department of Defense, reflective of the citizens they serve. And here at General Motors, it's being reflective of the customers we hope to sell to. So I think from a diversity standpoint, that's certainly very similar, both on in corporate America and in the federal government. Well, it's interesting because that type of role is not the, hey, why don't you try, it doesn't feel like it's a, hey, why don't you try this out? I feel like something had to speak to you. Why was that role important to you, even, even as you went back in time, the first time you entered into this, you know, doing your first role in diverse inclusion? What was your 
was, was there an aha moment, Ken, of, wow, I need to make a difference? Or what spoke to you to, to get you to lean into a role like that? Yeah, that's a great question, Ron. And I, I would tell you that uh, I would love to say, although I've been very passionate about this topic for many years, it's not like something that, you know, it's a career path that you would normally have in the military, right? Uh, so, because I was a ship driver, you know, so I was a surface warfare officer. So, you know, the, really the first 20 years of my career, I was on seven different ships, deployed all over the world, that type of stuff. And then kind of about the 20-year point, I kind of shifted more to... Um, an HR type of role. I kind of ran recruiting in the Southwest. So I was involved very kind of in talent acquisition. So it, there was a big piece and a big uh, emphasis on being able to attract more women and more minorities into the military at the time. So I was involved from that aspect. And then from there, when I came to the Navy staff, I was still kind of in the HR type of role uh, where I got asked at that time to say, hey, I was really good in diversity recruiting. So they kind of asked me to say, hey, we want to you know, transform kind of a minority affairs office, if you will, uh, in the military into a diversity directorate. And so uh, since I did well in diversity recruiting, you know, I said, hey, okay, let's let's go for this. So, and I, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of how I got into it. No, 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 it does. But, I, I, but even before getting to GM, I want to stay on this topic for a second. You said you, I was really good at, at, you know, diversity um, recruiting. What what strategies did you implement? Because, I, I, to be honest, I find it challenging. I, I don't know if we we're getting it right in my company today. You know, our strategy is is just to to put ads in more places. But I don't. I, we don't necessarily have a. You know, we're, we're we're trying to figure it out. What what made that so successful for you? Why were you so good? What were some of the strategies? You know, for us, it was, um, I think it was more opening the aperture and being able to find that diverse talent, if you will. So what um, does that mean, opening the aperture? Yeah, I think that we tend to, and I love recruiters, okay? I, I spent three years uh, in military recruiting. They call you either a hero or a zero, and they fire you pretty quickly, right? Uh, you kind of have a number uh, over your head every single month. So a very, a very, um, I would say, a high pressure job to be able right. to fill those numbers and those needs. So, you know, and this is not a bash at recruiters because I love recruiters, but they're going to take the path of least resistance. So they'll tend Get to your fish. numbers. Yes, exactly. So you tend to fish in the same ponds and you go to the same places to find that qualified talent because you got to fill wrecks, right? So when I say open the aperture, it's like being able to really understand what you have in the marketplace and be able to do the types of things needed to be able to find that diverse candidate slate, if you will, right? So um, I think that the reason why we were successful, and a lot of this was um, on the enlisted side of recruiting, you tend to reflect the nation because you have, you know, recruiting stations all over the place and you're, you're kind of um, targeting like the high school graduate market, if you will. Yep. Uh, so you, you're kind of going to high schools and it's going to be diverse. When you're looking for officer candidates, which tended to be really a focus to be able to make sure you had a diverse slate of candidates for officer programs, that's kind of where I said, hey, you'd go, you'd go find them, you'd go to the same top 10 schools, and you'd go get the types of candidates that you were looking for, you know, and you'd get them. And not that they weren't qualified, they were highly qualified, but were they the most diverse pool, right? So being able to say, okay, let's open this aperture, let's go find those diverse candidates, and being able to make sure that you were you know, looking at it um, and keeping it 
in the forefront so you could actually get that diverse talent slate. So I think being very intentional about your efforts, being able to understand where you're looking for talent, opening the aperture so you're expanding the pool that you're actually looking at, that's, for me anyway, that's how I was successful. Look, that, that makes sense, but but is there one story or like, wow, we did this one thing and it really gave us a, a much more diverse pool. We just, this is a strategy we implemented. Can you think back, is there a single story or a, a one-off that says, wow, yeah, we, we we used to do it like this. We opened the aperture, we, we did it like that. And, and yeah, there was a lot of different candidates. Yeah, sure, Ron. So, I mean, I, I, I guess a good example would be um, when you're looking for candidates for ROTC programs. So that's kind of Reserve Officer Training Corps. So those are folks that are going to go on to college and you're looking to be up. It's just like you have the, the military academy, so the Naval Academy in my particular case, and then also ROTC programs at different universities. We'd have a certain number of, you know, we need to get applicants in for the ROTC programs. And that was one of the targets that you had as a recruiting district. Now, kind of back to what I said of fishing in the same pond, okay, I could go and one of the big markets I had in my region was San Diego market, right? And I don't know if people on the phone know San Diego, but I'm going to just give you an idea here that I could go to 10, you know, schools, you know, and there were 600 high schools in the region I had, okay? Uh, yeah. But I could go to 10, like say Coronado, if you guys know that area, Coronado is a pretty high end area, Torrey Pines High School, okay? Uh, Cathedral Catholic, you know, you know, Our Lady of Peace Academy, very, you know, some Catholic schools, some things like, you know, some high end schools. And I could go there and probably get 15, 20 applicants from each of those schools and very easily meet my targets. Right. Now, if I went to in National City, which is in the heart of San Diego, um, I could go to that school and I might not find 15 or 20, but I might find two or three. And so going back to Coronado and Torrey Pines, there might be great, highly qualified candidates, but is it the most diverse pool? I could go to National City High School or Sweetwater, I think is what they called it. Um, and that's 97% diverse in that right. school, right? diversity in that school. And I might get four or five applicants out of that school and they're gonna be diverse candidates. So mm -hmm. that's kind of a, an example of going to, a, being intentional about where you're going to be able to find those candidates. But you know, it's funny and, and one, one last, push here because I, I think about this from my perspective and I think diversity is critically important, but I, I find like if, if we were going to hire for an accountant tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. What you're talking about, that seems to be very simple to me. You're going to go to that neighborhood, that school has that type of diversity. But if you go online now, like, I feel like I'm not, it doesn't seem as black and white to me as far as the strategy. I, I'm also struggling with, okay, well, how am I going to find diversity here? How am I going to get to this? Because we're posting these things online, you know? Yeah. Any thoughts on that? You know, in, in, instead of just going to a, you know, an advocacy group for native Canadians and say, Hey, we have this role. Can you put it to your network? Like what, what are the strategies? Yeah. I mean, you're kind of, sh and I, I would tell you straight out that it's, um, it's not unlike what we do at general motors right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're a technology company, you know, really about 75% of our salaried workforce uh, have a STEM or IT background, right? So we're looking for, you know, engineering talent, and we're trying to be able to find those diverse candidates. So for us, we're very intentional at General Motors to be able to 
you know, work with those partner organizations, as you were mentioning, right. the National Society of Black Engineers, the Society of Women Engineers, the Society of, you know, Hispanic Professional Engineers. We have folks out in ACES right now, uh, American Indian Science and Engineering Society. Okay, so, so, so it is, to, it, that yeah. is part of the strategies, get to know these organizations that advocate right. and and, and they have within their networks a very focused network of those that type of diverse group, right? Absolutely. And the, the ones that I just mentioned, especially the bigger ones, SHIP and Nesby and SWE, they have chapters on, you know, almost every campus in the U.S. and I'm sure in Canada, too. I know this SWE is international. Nesby maybe. I'm not sure. SHIP probably is as well. But uh, for us, it's not just going and going to the conference and having, you know, setting up a recruiting booth. Um, you've got to really have a partnership, you know, and we have a partnership and have had partnerships with these organizations and don't just do the national conference, but we do regional conferences. The, you know, we want to be able to make sure we showcase our talent that we have in GM. So there's awards programs where those top engineers get acknowledged and you know, uh, the, the ship students can actually see that, you know, we have top-notch diverse engineers in our own company so they can see themselves coming and working for us. So it's being able to make a very, you know, personal connection with these particular groups and being able to then be able to attract that talent in because there is a battle for talent. Let's right. not, you know, let's be clear. Yeah. Interesting. So that's great. Let's, let's go to GM for sex. So, you know, when you mentioned that GM's mission was to become the most inclusive company in the world, I was like, wow, that's big. Tell, why did GM lean into that? And, and tell us more about that's huge. Yeah, well, as you know, there's been a lot going on here in the United States, kind of post George Floyd. I think it's kind of raised everybody's level of consciousness on the topic. Um, and it was our, you know, it's not Ken Barrett here. This is our chair and CEO, Mary Vara, who said, hey, we want to be the most inclusive company in the world. Good and, for you. you know, she said it's not and she doesn't want it to be a competition because she says we all should want to be the most inclusive company in the world. So not a competition here, but we're going to strive to be able to do that and be very intentional about how we actually approach this. And, you know, uh, it's not just about bringing in more diverse talent. That's one piece of it, but it's like, we see you, we hear you, and we will speak up, right? And so in being, you know, very proactive on how we address it both internally, but also thinking about it externally as well. And, you know, I know we talked quickly that, that cause my key question when you mentioned that was how would you, like, how, how would you even measure this? And I think you you guys have a few metrics. There's eight key metrics, am I right? Well, there are eight key questions, but we have lots of okay. metrics on the diversity side, right? You think about it. I mean, it's you can look at what your overall population is. You can look at your executive population. You can look at what your attrition's doing, how your hiring is doing. You can look at what your promotions look like. You can look at um, high potential talent and what is the mix there by race, ethnicity, and gender. So there's a lot of metrics and measures that you have from a diversity standpoint, but to, and you know, we get other types of things where I'm getting these scorecards with respect to numbers, if you will, diversity numbers by race, ethnicity, and gender, but you brought up the key point. How do you measure inclusion? If we say we're gonna be the most inclusive company in the world, how do I get to a point where I can say, hey, we are, because look, this is what, this is what we are as a company. And so, you know, we really started to think about this to say, okay, we used to do, or we still do, and, and many companies do, 
engagement surveys, employee engagement surveys. And so you're always going to get an engagement score where you're going to be able to say what your engagement level is inside your company. And there's always a couple of questions uh, that could be tied to inclusion, but we wanted to go a little bit deeper there. And so we kind of looked at four quadrants of valued and belonging, safe and open, empowered and growing, and respect and equity. And, and based on that, we wanted to be able to then come up with questions that we would ask in our engagement survey that would go ahead and then we could measure where we actually were as a company with respect to inclusion, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so let's go into those buckets. Can you, let's start and when I want to move through those, I think that's interesting. Where do you want to start? Well, I, I think that I would say we found that there were particular types of questions that really got at the heart of inclusion, yeah. certainly valued and belonging. You know, uh, I, I feel like I'm valued in, at General Motors, right? It's kind of a key question that really helps us get to that. Um, mm. You know, we had other questions too, where we can, hey, I can be, yes. I don't mean to interrupt, but the word valued, did you have to explain what that means? Because I feel like that's broad already. You know, it's like the word innovation, teamwork. And so when you say valued, did you have to give an explanation of what, what does valued or what, how you're describing valued means or not? It was, it was straightforward. We think it was straightforward, but I think you bring up a very good point is because at the end of the day, um, <laughs> it's a very personal thing, right? right. Uh, so one person in the same work group, you know, one may feel valued and have a sense of belonging and one may not, right? So it's the same thing with inclusion, right? We say to ourselves that it's not static, it's dynamic, right? It's right. in what happens inside. So how a person personally feels uh, today in their job and it could evolve. It's kind of in between, you know, so in between work groups, you know, being able to ensure that you have a, a great sense of how that particular work team or it could be a function operates and that could be a, a driver of inclusion or it could be totally external it could be factors happening outside your own organization that's coming into your your company that impacts a person's feel with respect to inclusion does that make sense ron yeah no it does yeah no i get it and what's another keep going through you talk about four i want to tap in a few of the other ones I think that's yeah so uh, safe and open, you know, again, you're, you're free to be able to kind of ensure that you're able to ask questions openly, that you're going to be heard, you know, it's going to, it's a safe opportunity to be able to bring ideas forward. You're not feeling like you're, you're, you're squashed out. You don't have the ability to be able to, you know, bring your ideas to the forefront, um, empowered and growing. Right. So, I mean, a lot of that is like career opportunities. I have an opportunity to be able to move up in the organization. Um, and then respect and equity. I mean, you feel respected, you know, and then the other part is that it's equitable outcomes of how things are happening inside the company that, you know, quality. Yes, it, absolutely. So I, I think that those are the, the four key quadrants that we actually built the eight questions on that went into the engagement survey and now gives us the ability to be able to measure that. You know, we had done a larger group of questions that were 16 questions initially to baseline us. But then we've kind of honed it in based on that original baseline to eight questions that we're going to use going forward. And we'll use those questions on Pulse surveys, which we've already done uh, this year, to be able to kind of see, are we moving? Are we making more progress with respect to inclusion? Okay, so I, I think, uh, and we also have built into at General Motors as a key strategic 
you know, indicator for us. So not only is engagement measured, but also in inclusivity index or inclusion. And what do you do if the survey, because this is ongoing, this doesn't end, right? You know, this mission is going to continue. So if, let's just say the results come back and there's an opportunity in an area, how do you figure out how to, like, what's, so, so question before that, is it, um, um, are these, uh, what do you call it? Uh, where they're not, you know, they're, um, anonymous where they're not putting their names on it. So you don't know really who to talk to. So they do feel comfortable saying, and then how do you, you know, so, wow, there's an opportunity in this area on people feeling safe or respected and equitable. How do we, how do you deal with that? Like, is there probably no playbook? You guys have to strategize and what does it look like? Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to have the survey that's going to come out once a year. Okay. But you're going to also have other touch points where we do pulses, right? So pulse surveys as well. So, and I will tell you, it's it's not anonymous, it's confidential, okay, but not anonymous. So for us, we're able to take that information and then instead of asking a whole series of questions on demographics, you know, race, ethnicity, gender, those types of things to break it out in an anonymous type of survey, we have it to where on the back end, I'm able to kind of tie it to a individual ID number, if you will, and yep. then I'm able to then say, okay, based on the information we're getting with respect to inclusion, I can break it out by race, ethnicity, and gender, and by uh, level in the organization. So uh, I'm able to see many different kind of data sets that tells me that, hey, overall, we may look like this. However, if I drill down, you know, maybe it's, you know, black women uh, feel a particular way or scoring particularly low on a particular question or in a quadrant. And so then I can do, you know, we can do focus groups with those particular individuals, be able to try to get at the heart of the issue to then be able to say, okay, well, what do we then have to address? Um, and it could be more dialogue. It could be, you know, information se sessions. It could be having crucial conversations with that group to be able to say what things we could then do to, to build on this. And what's some of the things as you've been going through this process, Ken, uh, that you've learned the biggest, like, wow, I didn't know that this is new to me. That's a, that's interesting. I've learned this through this information that there is this gap or, or this opportunity, anything big that was, that you just would not have thought walking into this. Well, first of all, you know, I would say that we had some pretty high numbers. You know, if, if you felt that you were committed to inclusion and we had some general questions like that too, uh, very high numbers of people saying that they were, they considered that we had uh, an inclusive culture here at General Motors. So that was very, very high. And then also that my manager supports inclusion uh, were, were also a question where we, we had extremely high scores. Um, the thing that I really kind of keyed on though was the valued and belonging piece. And as I broke it up into individual you know, constituencies, my aha moment was that, you know, it wasn't universal across the board. Certain groups felt that they weren't, they didn't feel valued. And we wanted to be able to understand what the dynamics were behind that. And I think a lot of it then kind of drove into how we want to continue to, to engage with respect to, you know, we hear you, we see you, and we'll speak up. Um, and I think that that's kind of changed fundamentally how we approach things and, and talking as a global company, you know, areas that we're going to actually engage in to be able to drive equity, not only internally in our own company, but also externally. And I'm, I'm, 
I'm envisioning that when you get to the root cause, so so let's just say, I'll, I'll stick with your um, example. Let's say black women in one area don't feel comfortable. They don't feel safe at work. They, they can't speak up. So if that's what the data tells you, is the program that's put in place, so, so focus group tells you that, you dig deep, that's the heart of the, so is the training for those around them? And is that what the program looks like? Because we have to kind of educate those around uh, this group of individual to, to interact differently so they do feel safe. Or like, what does the execution look like? I'm curious. Yeah, I'd say it's twofold, okay? First of all, you've got to be doing something overall in your company as well. It can't just be, hey, we're just going to target one particular thing because you'll be there will always be an area that you're going to need to to dig into and have more direct engagement on. Um, I think for us, we and I didn't think we brought this up, and I might not even talked with this uh, and when we talked before, Ron, but we also we added a behavior uh, in our behaviors that we have in our our company, and you know. Some of our behaviors include, you know, you know, winning with integrity, be be bold, innovate now. But we added be inclusive as a behavior, and we 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 have a, a program where we actually uh, reward people. There's a achievers program, which is I think a lot of companies use, where you can give recognition to people for living the behaviors of the company. Mm -hmm. And so for us is when you acknowledge somebody for being bold or, or one team or speaking up, you can also recognize folks for being inclusive. And so I think for us is from an overall company standpoint, building in a behavior that ever, that's just how we behave. This is, you know, what it means to be at GM. I think it helps us be able to kind of keep it front of mind, you know, to weigh, hey, we're really looking at inclusion here. We wanna be the most inclusive company in the world. And so to be able to do that, everybody's gotta be involved. Everybody's gotta own it. And so it's, yes, it's leaders and it's leaders for a particular constituency that probably needs to get a little bit more um, approaches to be able to ensure that a particular group may, you know, who may not feel like they're valued or don't feel included that, they have the opportunity to make sure that they're doing more intentional things to kind of drive things forward. Um, we've also built out what we call like DEI ambassadors uh, and they're in all our functions. And so there's like inclusion committees, uh, DEI ambassadors, all those folks that are kind of looking at, you know, what we company to try to drive inclusion forward. And, and another thing, Ron, that I think that has really kind of helped us uh, as we've gone on this journey, because it is a journey and it's not oh, yeah. something that's kind of, you know, it's not overnight, it's over time. Um, but we also, you know, we typically started meeting our meetings with a safety message, right? Because safety is kind of critically important and it's important to many companies, especially us as a manufacturing company. So there was always a safety moment that was built in, but we also now do, uh, you know, either a safety or an inclusion moment. So people being able to tell personal stories about inclusion and how they might have felt included and something that was positive or how they might have been in a place and didn't feel included you know, whether it was internally or externally. So I think what it does is it helps build the knowledge level of everybody in the company to be very intentional about looking for inclusion and looking for behaviors that aren't inclusive and to be able to, to change those where, where they happen. Because as you brought up, I mean, I couldn't possibly look at every single possible engagement and be able to say, 
this is being inclusive and this is not being inclusive. It's got to be everybody engaged in the effort or you're not going to ever get there, if that makes there, sense. There must be so much learning along the way. Like, wow, I wouldn't have thought that that would have made you not feel included. But not, but thanks for sharing. Now I get it. I'm going to change my perspective. Like what a cool, just continuously having these stories and moments where people are sharing must be great. And I, I made some notes here, but but it sounds like, I just want to be clear that, that Jim upgraded or or change their values to add inclusivity as a behavior, right? That's right. We added a behavior. So, yeah. yeah. So I love that so because I think in that, part, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, I always think that when you do things like that and, and maybe this is my term, but you hack the system. And, and what I mean by that is in, in cases, it's very difficult for those of being, you know, to, to add that behavior and someone who, who didn't align with that, that's been a GM employee for 15 years, that becomes difficult. Lots of training, lots of, you know, education, but a little easier for those coming into the organization. Cause I assume then you screen for inclusivity. Tell me how you've been inclusive in the past, or you, you must be able to bring that in and hack the system a little bit where there's alignment on the way in, or am I wrong? Yeah, I, I think, um, it's important to be able to understand, you know, what, and I've had some great leaders that have taught me this, you know, what exists out there, uh, you know, manifests itself in here, right? So whatever is out there, and I mean, there's so many different perspectives that are happening that people have, okay? And so you're going to have that inside your own workforce. You've got to be able to build respect and equity as you're you're going forward, which is one of the elements of inclusion, right? So, you know, you got to be able to treat people with respect. And yeah, certainly from a standpoint, and I know where your question's at, and I know I'm not really answering the question that you asked me, but I think that it is important to be able to understand that in the whole recruiting process, being able to showcase what our behaviors are and what we expect from you, and if we're upfront about that, right. I think that people will gravitate towards your organization because that's something they seek as well. Because I mean, who doesn't want to be respected? Who doesn't want to feel valued in their organization or empowered, right? All those things are critically important. So it's not just being able to weed out those folks that aren't there, because I think everybody's got it in them. You know, maybe there's a few that don't. But I mean, at the end of the day, we'll get rid of those folks. You know, they can go find happiness elsewhere. That, well, that's but, what I'm saying. I'm, yeah. I guess I'm saying, Ken, if you had two equal candidates, race aside and gender aside, and one was very just seen from their background was inclusive and that was important to them and one that wasn't i assume you as to align with your mission your values you go with the person who just really leans into that versus having to train the other person or am i that makes sense right i think it makes total sense right. um, i'm not sure that we're as evolved to be able to find all that right uh, right we do look at it by competencies and what right. people bring to the table inclusive leadership is certain certainly something that we want to be able we value so i mean yeah from a competency standpoint as mm. we look for candidates that we, we think would be good fits you right. know I, I think that there's there's a lot of talent out there but yeah definitely we look at the competencies what people bring to the table and I think you're right. If it was all things being equal, right. the person who's, you know, got that in their DNA is probably a better fit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. It's, but I, I have a couple of topics, but before that, I, I was curious on, you know, are you seeing like, I feel like from my perspective, I'm seeing this like, okay, there was a total lack of inclusivity and diversity in the workplace. And now I'm kind of in some cases seeing like there's, people are being champions, but aggressive champions. And it's kind of coming the other way where 
those champions are, are really lacking diversity. They're not being inclusive with the, the way the message is being delivered. There's, have you seen that at all? Or like, what are some of the bumps along the way been? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important, you know, to think about that. We might've added a behavior, be inclusive. We may have made statements that we want to be the most inclusive company in the world. Doesn't mean that we've never been inclusive, right? It's not like right. we're starting from zero. Uh, so I think it's being able to understand how we can be even better still, right? So kind of great today, better tomorrow. Yeah. Being able to build on the positives we have. And obviously we've been a company that's been around for over a hundred years and there's got to have been, you know, and in, in, even look at, you know, our chair and CEO, Mary Barra. I mean, we didn't hire, she's the first woman CEO in the automotive industry, right? And so, and it's not like we hired her from the outside. She started as a co-op student and matriculated all the way up to be the chair and CEO, okay? So obviously people cared about diversity and they cared about inclusion for decades to be able to ensure that we have diverse folks at the top of our organization. Our executive vice president for global manufacturing, African-American male, okay? And again, he started as a co-op student as well and now has made it all the way to the top. So people have cared about this for a long period of time. But I think it's important that as we we continue to evolve as a workforce, and I tell you, this has been, I would say, even added a new whole level of uh, complexity with respect to COVID-19 and the pandemic and the way we work now. And certainly we're a manufacturing environment. And so there's a lot of folks that are working in plants and have continued to work in plants. However, there's a lot of the corporate staff, a lot of the engineering organization that has been working remotely, right? And so being able to understand how we can still have that connection uh, and have people feel included when they're in a virtual environment. So I think, to be honest, Ron, I think that us being able to do this, it's helped us be able to, to really navigate the pandemic and being able to work appropriately in the environments we are now. And I think that will help us as we even go forward as an organization. So I think it's upped our knowledge level you know, right. it pressed us to learn more and to be better. And then at the end of the day, you know, yeah, hopefully be the most inclusive company in the world. Right. But I love that too, because, and, and I love the fact you're saying, Hey, we were already doing stuff with this, but we're not going to compare to what other people are doing. We're going to set a new target and we're just going to go for that. And we're going to compare with what we're doing today and the opportunity to be better. I, I think a lot of companies miss opportunities because they just look around and say, ah, we already beat the competitors and in this subject line, whatever that is. And so I love, I love hearing stories, especially large organizations that have the courage to say, no, we're just going to be the best at this. You know, from, from our perspective, there is opportunity. So good on you. A couple other things that I wanted to get through. One is, is there anything from a local or global level? Like, is it just the surveys? How does GM approach this globally? And what, what, complex, what complexities are there as you try to do this globally? Well, the behavior is a global behavior, okay? So I right. think that there are definitely local, um, you know, we have lots of operations in Brazil and China and, and Korea. Um, we've got, you know, basically we're 160,000, you know, a person organization, you know, on multiple con continents, 70 different languages are, are, are spoken. So we're all over the world. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, there are gonna be some, different areas where I think we 
you know, from a diversity standpoint, from a whole DEI portfolio standpoint to where it needs to be local. It can't be just driven from the U.S. However, I would say that being inclusive is universal right. <laughs> and people want that across the globe. So when we add a behavior of be inclusive, I think it resonates and it has resonated across the globe. So I don't know if I'm getting to the heart of your question, but no, no, absolutely. So that's that's really, I think, something that has been there's a thirst for this. And it's been a thirst not just here in the US, but everywhere, in every place that we we uh we live and work. And and what about, you know, we we spoke briefly about this, but how or what is the strategy with GM, big organization? So you've got this mandate, you're moving forward with a program or a process, and then boom. The headline the news at CNN and Fox is that that there's been you know aggressive attacks at Asian population in the U.S. How do how do you deal with that as an organization? Do you stop and say, oh, pause? We need to add this. Walk me through that. Yeah, that's that's a great question, and it's certainly something that I would say post George Floyd, the whole uh, dynamic has changed. Okay. Um, it, and with Mary's statement, you know, that we want to be the most inclusive company in the in the world, but we also built an inclusion advisory board where not only do we have which Mary chairs, uh, but she also has other senior members of her team that are on it. We have suppliers, our suppliers that we work with are on it, our dealers, and some of our community partners are on it as well to be able to give us that external perspective of, of what is happening externally and where do we need to speak up. And so Mary's been very clear that we see you, we hear you, hear you, and we speak up. And so at the end of the day, uh, that has been probably the biggest shift that I have seen kind of post George Floyd. We've spoken up for anti-Asian hate. We've spoken up at the verdict of the Chauvin trial. Right. So you, so, sorry, Ken, you mean not just internally, you're speaking outwardly and saying, hey, we as an organization right. are going to speak up about that. And that's, that's interesting. I, I think I think about that sometimes when I see things like this, and maybe as a smaller business, uh, maybe we think we don't have a voice. And 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 it, but I think you're right. You know, we should all be doing a better job of speaking outwardly about these things. Yeah, I, I think it's important. You know, we've um, and and Mary's been very clear about where she comes down on this, and and that you know we can't just continue to, you know see what's happening and say, oh boy, that's bad. But what can we do to try to really impact change? Right. And I think that's equity Uh, and that's equity uh, and from external side of how we can actually impact things going forward. And I think that that's, that's critically important to us as a company. Uh, That's great. Ken, we've discussed all kinds of great topics. The topic alone is um, is a very important topic. And I just want to thank you. I've learned so much today as we've dived much deeper into these topics. And, and before, before we let you go, is there something that we didn't get to talk about that's top of mind for you that you think is maybe helpful to the listeners today? No, I think it's to the last points we were talking about, Ron, about being able to speak up and ha- as a company being able to do that. It's been great for us to be able to then have our employees see that, uh, especially you, you brought up anti-Asian hate. For us to come out and vocally say something about it, put our, you know, our our words into actions as well. You know, we put a million dollars uh, 
uh, out there to be able to help fund initiatives to be able to stop anti-Asian hate. Uh, we've worked with our OnStar team to be able to have a safety net, if you will, for folks that feel like they're in trouble. So the business is seeing it. But there's also challenges with that as you're speaking up. All the constituencies inside of our company are now challenging us to be better still, right? Being able to look at the things that are important to them. And if we're going to start speaking up about this, then why aren't we speaking up about that? So for us, it's to really have a refined threshold of when we need to speak up right. as a company and things that we can't let sit. So I think, you know, you brought up that last question is is critically important to all of us out there, uh, being able to understand that, you know, businesses large and small, you have a voice and you do have a voice to speak up to really make a difference. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, for for us at General Motors, we've have a history of doing a lot, but we're doing even more still and uh, being able to make sure that we're in the conversation to make positive impact and make a difference. Well, thanks, Ken. And, and I, I look forward to watching GM and, and on this mission to become the most inclusive company in the world. I think we can all learn from this and, and it sounds like you guys are learning as you move forward. And so thanks for sharing. Thanks for coming on and, and uh, thanks for being part of the show. Well, Ron, hey, it's been great. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to, to hearing all your podcasts, by the way. So anyway, thanks for having me. For more information about Ken Barrett, please connect with him on LinkedIn. For more information about the Scaling Culture podcast or the Scaling Culture Masterclass, go to scalingculture.org. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.